Hey guys, it's your host, Avery Carl. Welcome to the Short Term Show special episode series on Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I'm super excited to do this 10 episode deep dive into this market with you. And I wanted to make a few notes for you first. So if you wanna set up a search for properties or see current purchase prices or current income numbers in this market, you can do that at our website, theshorttermshop.com. If you just wanna connect with us and hang out and talk about short-term rentals more, you can do that in our Facebook group. It's the same title as my book. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. And you can also find the information on all of our other market short-term show special episode series there as well. So we look really forward to hanging out with you over the next 10 episodes and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the short-term show special episode series on Myrtle Beach. Today, we're going to be talking about what to buy. So in the last episode, we talked about why you might want to invest in this market, like what's Myrtle Beach. Today, we're going to talk about the things to buy in Myrtle Beach. And we have a great panel to help me talk about this. First, we have Bradley Klein, one of our agents in Myrtle Beach. Bradley, do you want to introduce yourself really quick? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Bradley Klein, as mentioned. Uh, I've lived in Myrtle Beach for eight years now. Originally came from the United Kingdom. Um, lived in Myrtle Beach the entire time I've lived in in the United States. All right, and he is one of our agents in. Yeah, yes, and I am one of the agents <laughs> in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, the important part. <laughs> and next we have a great friend of mine who needs no introduction, but we're going to give her one anyway. Stacy St. John. Stacy, do you want to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. And I don't have an accent nearly as cool as Bradley, so I apologize <laughs> in advance, but. My name is Stacey St. John, and I actually own several properties in Myrtle Beach and manage as well. So we own nine beachfront condos along um, the Grand Strand, and I also own a boutique property management firm called Cozy Getaways, and we have the pleasure of supporting clients in managing the day-to-day of their beach rentals. And um, it's such a pleasure to be here with you, Avery. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. So I guess let's start with, let's start with the different areas of Myrtle Beach. So what are the different areas that you might run across, say, if you start messing around on Zillow, looking at places in Myrtle Beach? So essentially Myrtle Beach is broken up into the North End, the downtown area, if you will, and then the south end. So the north end is going to be North Myrtle Beach, Little River, Cherry Grove. Um, predominantly, as far as your oceanfront condos, you're going to be dealing with North Myrtle Beach and Cherry Grove as they essentially run along the coast on the Grand Strand. Then we have downtown Myrtle Beach, which is, of course, the city limits uh, area of Myrtle Beach, which, again, predominantly condos along the oceanfront. There are some areas within that that do have little stretches of single family homes, but a lot of the downtown area is not short term rental friendly when it comes to single family homes. And then beyond that, going south, we hit uh, Surfside Beach, Garden City, Murrells Inlet. Uh, and then beyond that, we have Litchfield and Paulys Island. So they're essentially going to be your five big areas on the south end. Uh, of those areas, Surfside Beach and Garden City are going to be predominantly condos. Garden City is a little more um, single-family home heavy also because of the lack of zoning restrictions. Murrells Inlet is predominantly single-family homes. And then Litchfield and Paulys Island, again, 
there's a lot more HOAs on that on that end. So it's not as short term rental friendly. Closer to the beach, it is still possible, and there's still there aren't as many condos. But due to the price point down there, a lot of the times it just doesn't make sense uh, to buy that far south. Um, so essentially, we're looking at basically from Murrow's Inlet up to to Cherry Grove. Would you agree, Stacey? I would, and you know, I think even within those key areas that you described, and I'm I'm writing down, ooh, Garden City, lack of zoning restrictions. You need to tell <laughs> me more about that. Um, but there are also, I would call micro pockets, um, neighborhoods that. I think perform really well um, as, you know, as related to short-term rentals, like the golden mile for, Mm -hmm. uh, for an example, it's a wonderful little uh, pocket of the market that I would say is outside of the central hubbub of downtown, a little more quiet, but still has tremendous, you know, location where you can get to restaurants incredibly quickly. And um, so I would just encourage anyone who's watching or listening and is intrigued by the Myrtle Beach market to even dive deeper into some of those little mini neighborhoods, shall we say? Yeah, I agree with that. And I don't own in Myrtle Beach, so I can't really speak to that as much. But down here where I live in 30A, there's a few of like the big name areas like Seaside, Grayton Beach, Rosemary. And I call it buying the pockets. So you can buy right outside of Seaside and still be able to walk like 30 feet into Seaside, but it's going to be 50% cheaper. And by 50%, I mean like several million dollars cheaper to buy the pocket than buy right in it. So luckily you guys don't have to worry about those extreme prices that we have here in, um, in Myrtle Beach, which is what I love about this market is that it is affordable. It is great for any level investor, whether you're new or experienced, that that price point is just a really, really palatable price point to get into Myrtle Beach. So I'm, Absolutely. I'm <laughs> that, that That was a key driver for me, actually, when we were looking to invest into our first short-term rental, we looked at different markets. In fact, we looked at the 30A area and I always tell people, you know, I could buy something with the view of a pond in Destin, and I could be looking at the ocean in Myrtle Beach. So, mm. where do the you think ponds I are expensive <laughs> in Destin too? You want it's called a Dune Lake, and they're they're only three places in the world that we have them. But yeah, yeah, it's, girl, yeah, crazy. Purchase prices in Myrtle Beach are so amazing, and I think that you know it's kind of a good segue into my next question on. Let's talk about types of properties. So single families, like Bradley, you might be able to answer this. Uh, you kind of did a little bit towards the beginning. Where are the highest concentration of if somebody is just anti-condo, which we're going to get into mm-hmm. that in a minute very heavily, but single family homes. Some people are just single family home people. So yes. where are we looking if we're looking for a single family in this market? So based on entry point and return, your best locations are going to be North Myrtle Beach, just because essentially if, if you were to look at the map of North Myrtle Beach, predominantly everything east of 17, barring a few little pockets of HOA neighborhoods, and there are very few, but everything east of Highway 17 is short-term rental friendly. So you've got a pretty much a half mile wide stretch um, that runs probably 20 miles that is essentially short-term rental friendly. And there are a lot of single family homes in that 
uh, area. Outside of that, you've also got Surfside Beach, which Surfside Beach zoning is a little more um, strict, if you will. I mean, you've essentially got the first two rows and it's not a perfect straight line. Um, so definitely speak to, uh, to a agent who is familiar with the zoning because a lot of these properties are zoned short-term rental, but they're actually not allowed. Um, but essentially you've got two rows that allow short-term rental properties and they are mostly single family homes. And then the unincorporated areas of the county are going to be uh, Garden City and then Murrells Inlet's kind of split. So it's kind of split between Ori County and Georgetown County. But predominantly everything at the ocean is short-term rental friendly. I would also, sorry to jump in. I would also say if someone is looking at a single family home, think about potentially making that single family home pet friendly. So I know we're going to talk about condos and um, in a, in a moment, but there is by and far pretty broad restrictions in those condo buildings about being able to bring a pet. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are looking to travel with a pet and there are very few opportunities. And so if you're comfortable hosting uh, a family that wants to bring their their furry friends along, um, that can be a really big game changer for you and set you apart in the marketplace. Yeah, I actually only know of one building along the Grand Strand that allows... Yeah. Um, okay. So now let's talk about the thing that I think is going to take the most amount of time here. Let's talk about condos because when I tell people, Hey, you know, you can get a condo in Myrtle beach for a great price. A lot of times, especially if they're new to this, they say, Oh man, I don't want a condo. Condos can change their rules on us and make it to where we can't short-term rent. And I'm scared of condo fees and condo assessments and all of these things. So I think now is would be a really good opportunity for us to kind of dispel those those myths about condos. So first let's talk about why we don't really have to worry about HOAs changing anything up on us in this market. I, I could speak to that, you know, and Bradley, feel free to jump in as well. But the condos along the Myrtle Beach Ocean Front, that is their primary driver of revenue. So many of the condo buildings are actually what's referred to as a condo tell. So they oftentimes have a front desk. Think about walking into a Marriott or a Hilton. Um, They're not all Marriott's or Hilton's there, of course. But, you know, in a Marriott or Hilton situation, you've got folks going to the front desk to check in. Now, as individual condo owners, of course, our guests do not have to go to the front desk to check in, but that's often how those condo tells are delineated or referred to. referred to. Those condo tells have a distinct interest in being able to short-term rent because that is how they drive revenue for those buildings in general. So, you know, for that very reason, the Myrtle Beach market is tremendous because it's almost like an insurance policy that they're not going to change their restrictions because the the very nature of those buildings are for short-term and vacation rentals. Yeah, totally agree with that. That there's not a lot of hotel presence in this market. And the reason that all of these, all of these condo buildings exist is to house vacationers. Like this was this is predates Airbnb, predates any yeah. sort of short-term mm-hmm. rental investing courses. This is before the internet, guys, even that 
these were built specifically to house short-term rentals. So yeah. um, it's really, there will be a couple there. There's a few in every market that are, you know, supposed to trying to provide a more luxury experience and they're only for second homes, no short-term rentals, but those are very few and far between. And typically all the condo buildings are for short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. That's why they exist. They wouldn't exist otherwise. Now let's talk about condo fees and why people get so scared of those because people will look at them and they'll go, oh my God, $500 a month. And they think they're looking at their spreadsheets and they've got all their, their expenses and their internet and their cable and all this stuff. And they add another 500 a month on top of that. And they go, oh, that's going to kill my cash flow. I can't do that. And mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't take one single closer look and just write it off and don't end up buying. But why might that not be the smartest thing to do? Yeah. Why is that not something to be scared uh, of? In the majority of the condo buildings, the HOA fees actually encompass your utilities as well. And so again, primarily you've got buildings that include your cable, your Wi-Fi, your trash, your water. Some of the buildings also include HO6 policies. They also include um, your electric. So I actually love it. I get to write one check every month and it pays for the entire um obviously amenities and being able to utilize the amenities and the utilities. The other thing that I love is that my electric, my water is a flat fee. So if my guests go take four 30-minute showers every day, my water bill is not going up. If they crank up the AC and have it on 60 degrees in the middle of July, my utility bill is not going up. So I actually love the approach, but I did have sticker shock when I first started looking and didn't realize this. I was thinking this same exact thing, Avery, like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Um, And as it turns out, it's actually pretty beneficial from my perspective. Yeah, I agree with that. Most times condo fees are going to cover a lot of the things, the expenses you'd have to be paying monthly anyway. So take a look at that. Like, again, I don't own in this market, but I do own a condo that has a $500 a month HOA. And really the only thing that it doesn't cover that I have to pay on top is electric. But I've got three pools, like right within walking distance. I do own a single family in this market with a private pool. So I know what it would cost to maintain that pool without. And it it's actually, you know, really, really worth it. It doesn't, it's not something that I look at as a burden of an expense. It's like nice to have. Um, Cause a lot of times, and again, you might run across something where a condo fee is 500 bucks a month and it doesn't cover anything. That's you know, maybe move on from that deal. But in most cases, you need to look a little bit closer and see because they will cover most of those monthly expenses. So definitely something to keep in mind. And the other big fear that I see investors have with condos is condo assessment. So people who don't know what an assessment is, every few years when a condo building needs some sort of capex or maintenance, like maybe we need to paint the outside, maybe it's time for a new roof, go get the price for that and assess all of the condo owners a share of the price of that that they have to pay. It happens every few years. So Stacey, I think you'll agree with me here. Maybe you have something to add that I don't really, that doesn't scare me either because I also own a lot of single families and I know that I'm having to do maintenance monthly, annually on all of these things. When a roof comes up, I got to do it right then. And you're doing all these, all these small payments 
every, you know, every so often of CapEx. Whereas when it comes to a condo assessment, it's the same thing, but instead of doing it just, it just here and there all, you know, for over the course of a year, you're not doing it at all. And then all at once you're just paying it. So when you think about it like that, you are paying for CapEx, whether or not, you know, whether you've got a single family with no assessments or a condo that might have an assessment every five years, you're paying for it either way. With condos, it's just all at once and single families, it's overtime. But what do you guys yeah, think? I, I totally agree. And quite candidly, I would be concerned if there weren't assessments in a condo building because unfortunately, I've heard of horror stories right there in the Myrtle Beach market where the HOAs aren't taking um, good care of the structure of buildings. And it can be extremely problematic because, you know, if those assessments are not um, incorporated on a regular basis to keep the building up, you can run into situations where, you know, there are extreme cases of challenges with the integrity of the building, as an example. And your property values can tank. So I actually really don't mind assessments because I appreciate that the building is actually being well cared for. And I have that peace of mind as an owner. Bradley, I was going to say, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, as you said, there's a lot of these smaller condo buildings, two or three stories where they're basically still built condos and they're managed by the owners and they don't catch these things. And as you said, there have been some structural issues arise to where they just don't sell. Um, they don't sell, they don't rent, and you're essentially stuck with a property that you can't do anything with. Um, and I think Avery hit the point uh, the best. Essentially, you if you buy a single family home, you have to do all this maintenance anyway. Of course, there are some buildings where they might carry three or four assessments where maybe right now that particular building might not make sense versus another building. But but I mean, if if you see a building with an assessment, I don't think you should be scared because ultimately, whether you own in a in a building that has one or doesn't have one, it'll only be a matter of time before it does. Um, mm-hmm. But as I say, it is it's protecting you as a as an owner. Yeah, and I always you know share with my clients on the property management side when they are looking at different buildings, you know. I always say, look at previous assessments, like ask the question, um, what have the assessments been? How often uh, should we be expecting an assessment? I would also go so far to ask for, if you're serious about creating an offer on a property, you know, make that offer contingent on review of the board meeting minutes because you can get a lot of insight as to how proactive that HOA and board is in maintaining the property. And again, I've, I'm fully aware of one of my clients who um, didn't take that approach and she's paying for it dearly because she happened to buy in a building that um, has had some tremendous problems and, um, you know, problems that could have been avoided quite quite honestly. So I I would dig into the the way that that condo building is being managed by their their board and HOA um cuz that can help you again make a more strategic decision on which um which property is right for you. Yeah, that's a, a really really good point because even if like an assessment has not been levied yet if you can go through the meeting minutes you can see if it's been mentioned and then you know to say oh you know what 
we want to request that the seller pays this. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's very important too. All right. So we talked about single families, condos. So let's talk about size. So I am of the mindset that there's not ever a specific right or wrong size to buy, but there are differences in occupancy rates and there are differences in how many of that size property are out there in the rental market. So um, what size, Stacey, do you prefer to buy and why? Well, I actually own everything from a studio to a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom. I manage uh, properties up to five bedrooms. And so there's no right or wrong answer. I think it, number one, depends on Uh, Of course, your budget, uh, your target market, who you want to be hosting, and how stable you want your cash flow to be throughout the year. And what I mean by that is typically what I'm seeing with the properties I manage for the smaller units, the studios and the one bedrooms, those tend to rent really well year round. Um, even in the the off season, you know, typically from November to February timeframe, we welcome snowbirds who come in, you know, from the Northeast or Canada and are staying in those smaller size properties. Of course, the smaller studios and one bedrooms, even the two bedrooms have quite a different purchase price. Um, and so that is also something to factor in. Now, of course, your larger properties, the three, four, five bedrooms are going to be in tremendous demand during the summer season when families are coming to vacation. But my own experience has been that the larger properties tend to have a much greater uh, difference in occupancy um, from the busy season during the summertime to um they have a definitely a starker difference in shoulder seasons. Um, they're not as well occupied. And then, of course, not many snowbirds are going to be, you know, staying in a five-bedroom house in November. <laughs> a, a couple's probably going to, again, rent those um, smaller size units. So it really depends on your investing goals and, and what you're looking to do um, and how, again, predictable you want that cash flow to be throughout the year, from my opinion. Yeah, I've seen the same thing as well across mine. So it's entirely possible that on, you know, a larger property, like a five, six, seven bedroom, you will make more money and have a higher return on investment across, you know, the year, but it is going to have a lower occupancy rate. So it depends on what your goals are as an investor. If you're new and you just really to be able to sleep well at night, need to be able to see asses in those seats all year go with a couple smaller ones. You can always trade those up later, even if you're buying multiple, um, because the smaller ones do have, and this is across all markets, have a higher occupancy rate. Now, they're not going to make as much money. You probably will not have percentage-wise a higher return on investment on those, but you're going to do your cash-on-cash return-wise, income-wise, you're going to do what you need it to do, but they are going to be rented more and you do have the opportunity to try and get some snowbirds. I'm not saying you're going to. I'm also not saying that it's going to be worth your while because typically snowbirds want cheap. And sometimes, you know, if you've got, um, say you've got January, February open and they want to rent it for 1500 bucks a month and you could make 1500 on like three off-season bookings that you might get, 
Uh, sometimes it's not worth it. So I've had clients before where they had to rent it for so low in order to get a snowbird in there that it just wasn't necessarily worth mm -hmm. doing. So keep that in mind. Snowbird, I see, especially new people, when they get to the off season, they're like, oh my God, I got to get a snowbird. But snowbirds are not paying those midterm rentals. So if you guys watch like Jesse Vasquez and, and Rachel Gainsbury, those guys are pros at midterm rentals. I would not call snowbirds that. Because Correct. typically those types of midterm rentals are paying a lot and a lot extra more than what the typical rent would be, whereas snowbirds are looking for a great deal. Yeah. So sometimes it might not be worth it. So I just want to set the expectation that you're not going to come in and use a lot of those midterm rental strategies to get snowbirds because it is a different demographic. Yeah, that's a really good call out. I also think when you are considering the size of property, you also need to look at the time of year that you're buying and your cash reserves. Because if you are buying, as an example, in September and you're buying a five-bedroom property, chances are your peak occupancy or you know, your uh, dipping point where you're actually getting into the black instead of the red is going to be in the late spring, early summer, right? So you need to look at your cash reserves and, and understand if you have, you know, enough carrying uh, costs um, in the bank to be able to pay for that property until then. So I also think that should be a consideration um, when you're buying a property and, Making sure that again, your investing goals are are staying forefront um, and just making sure that you're well prepared for what's to come. It's a much different story when you're buying in February um, because your your path is much shorter to that peak season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. In any market, typically, if you start looking right around Christmas when nobody's paying attention because everybody's worried about spending money on Christmas and you close in January, your first mortgage payment is not going to be due until March 1st. So you have the shortest amount of carry cost time until you hit the high season, really in any market. Uh, unless you're doing like a like a Western ski market, right. those are typically opposite or South Florida. But in most like Southeastern markets, March is the beginning of the high season. So buying in January can be a really good time because you don't have as long of a run up until you start actually getting money coming in the door and not just out the door. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives you time to do any necessary upgrades or updates that may be needed to without impacting your uh, cash flow too much also. For sure. 100%. So you mentioned upgrades, Bradley, let's talk about this. So is this an area where you see a lot of like grandma condos that are going to need a, a refresh? Uh, we do because a lot of them, they'll just have a bulk up fit every 15 years or something. A lot of the buildings now they're actually going through bulk up fits, which by the way, you don't have to, um, you don't have to do it does generally work out to be a lot more expensive to do the bulk up fit. And then you just look the same as everybody else. I always, and I do have my list of preferred uh, contractors, but I always recommend people to get the work done independently, have something unique that stands out. Um, because of course there are a lot of condos that just look the same. Um, from Stace's point, the one bedrooms do do very well all year round. And what a lot of people do, for example, is they'll put like a fireplace in the unit, like an electric one. And it, it looks really nice on the listing too, to kind of have those ocean views, but have like a nice electric fireplace going in the background. And it's, it's a very inexpensive cost, uh, to do it. But you look at some of the revenue of some of these units that have these, uh, 
unique features and they far outperform your kind of standard units per se. Yeah, there are a lot of units that do have that grandma look, but I think honestly that's a I think that's an advantage for you to to stand out. (laughs) That was one of my favorite things about Myrtle Beach. So as an investor, I love to buy ugly, fix it up, and force appreciation. And Myrtle Beach had a plethora of opportunities to do that. And so, um, you know, for the clients that I work with, that's actually a service that I provide. I will help uh, manage a rehab and uh, furnish and fit out a property so that we are able to create standout listings. I actually brought a client on and they had done some uh, initial refreshes to the property. However, it looked very, very similar to the majority of the other units in that building. And I was able to share some data with her to show her that if we invested in making this a standout property, she could be earning more. And we've seen that come to life. Um, You know, by and large, the condos that are unique and up graded and modernized it within my portfolio uh earn about 30% more than just a, a nice condo again i'm not even going to call it a grandma condo but just a nice condo that looks like everything else um so something to consider bradley what is a bulk upfit so essentially it's where the the hoa will um they'll go in and remodel the units they'll offer a either a fixed cost, which will usually be discounted, or they'll break it down as an assessment, if you will. Um, And they will go in and rehab the units that are dated. Um, As I say, you don't have to, you don't have to do it, you don't have to agree to it. For example, there's just been one in one of the popular buildings here. And for a one bedroom unit, they're charging $42,000. for a 500 square foot unit, whereas clients that have it done by, by themselves by a contractor, they'll pay half price for a high-end um, upfit or let's say 15,000, 16,000 if they wanna do the floors, countertops, paint, and just kind of freshen up the unit, but still get it to to where it still stands out uh, versus most of the other units. So yeah. to me, it just doesn't make sense of course, you you can request if there is an assessment on one of these units that the seller pay it, which was a recent upgrade on our contract. Um, but in most cases, you're still going to look the same as everybody else. It's so true. And sometimes with those bulk upfits, what I have seen is the condo buildings will try to loop in utilization of their on-site management programs Mm -hmm. and give people a discount on those bulk upfits. So that's also a question to be asking if you are buying into a building that offers on-site management and has had one of those bulk upfits. You want to make sure you really understand what you're buying. Yeah, to me, I mean, I'm an experienced investor, so I can see how maybe this might be attractive to someone who's never done a rehab before. But I think you could do a better job, a cooler job, a more unique job for Mm -hmm. less money by not doing that. Mm-hmm. Totally yeah. agree. Interesting. So I've never heard of that. Like down here around us in like Panama City and Destin, I've 
I've never heard of that, but yeah, do it yourself. I'm all about doing it yourself. You can, you don't want to look, the thing about condos is your, the thing about everything is all properties, your photos are what sells the property. You, people are not going to click on like literally all, I'm very triggered by this because I, I scream about photos all day long. And 90% of the time when people say, Hey, Avery, can you look at my listing and see why it's not booking? And I'm like, you took photos with your iPhone and I can tell right (laughs) off. I'm not even a photographer, get real photos. So anyway, photos are so important. And part of that is uniqueness. And if it looks, you know, if it's the same white box in every single photo of every single condo in the building, you know, then that's, you know, you you don't want to be that. And also kind of um, in contrast to what I just said, a lot of times you're not, people will go, well, I don't want to buy a condo because there's a thousand of them in the same building. A lot of times you're, it's not going to show you, Hey guys, in this building, there are 1000 condos for rent at the exact same time. It's the way the algorithm works. Isn't like that. You'll, you'll see a few of them based on reviews, clicks, because people do or don't have good photos. All of these, there's all these things that contribute to you getting on the first page. So not, it's not organized by condo building. It's organized by, you know, the level of management. So keep that in mind. Your guests are really rarely going to be presented with a thousand units in the same building to choose from. Yeah. I was also just going to add something about the photos because I see people making this mistake a lot where they're like, oh, I'm still going to make a few last tweaks to my property. So I'm going to wait to get professional photos done. I'm just going to slap up these iPhone pics for now. My friends pay for professional photos twice. Get pictures done right now so that you have your best foot going forward in being able to secure bookings. I guarantee you, you will be able to um, have more success that way. If you think about photos, it's a couple hundred bucks. You could be losing out on thousands of dollars in bookings by not having professional photos. Mm -hmm. 100%. My opinion. (laughs) <laughs> I, I totally, totally agree. And so many people are like, but my iPhone has a such and such megapixel camera and blah, blah, blah. But you are not a such and such megapixel yeah. photographer. Hire a professional. I think, and I also think it's really important to get the right photographer in there. Unfortunately, again, a lot of people rely on real estate photographers to be taking pictures of their short-term rentals. And it is difficult to find Mm. lifestyle photographers. I know that I personally have utilized real estate photographers in the past. And the way that I'm able to, I'll say, band-aid that situation is I am actually at the photo shoot directing it, telling them what pictures and what views and I want this angle. Now, that's probably not feasible for a lot of people. And so if that isn't feasible for you, I would recommend finding a good lifestyle photographer to help capture those magical moments inside your property that are going to invoke emotion from people when they're looking through Airbnb or Verbo. And you want people going, wow, that's that's an amazing view. Or look at that. I want to check that out. So find a lifestyle photographer. Agree with that. Um, last thing I want to talk about is proximity to the beach. So my general opinion, you guys correct me, is if it's a condo, you want to be beachfront. If it's a single family, you just need to be walkable to the beach. But don't take the advice of gurus, et cetera, who invest in metro markets and say, oh, 
go 30 minutes away to like a tertiary market where it's cheaper and then you'll you'll be fine. That's not how it works in vacation markets. So I'll let you guys kind of take it away from there. Bradley, what what say you? Yeah, I mean, well, the nice thing is, is pretty much everything away from the beach is HOA uh, managed anyway. So it predominantly restricts that um, in 95% of situations regardless. But even if it wasn't to be the case, People come to the beach because they want to be at the beach. Uh, they want to be able to either walk or at the at the least take a golf cart ride to the beach. So you want to be within a mile, half a mile really of, of the ocean. So obviously you own a condo, you want to be oceanfront. There are a few golf course uh, condos that do decent, but still nothing compared to the oceanfront. Um Single family homes again. You you definitely want to be within that kind of mile, half mile radius of the ocean for for the numbers to really make sense. Yeah, and I to would, stand out. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, you go ahead. I would also say if you are looking at a condo building, it's not enough to just have your condo building be oceanfront. I have so many examples of situations where our ocean front condos are performing much better than an ocean view condo. So if you have the choice and you are looking to be along the ocean, I would absolutely recommend ocean front if it's within your budget. Yeah, I think you could probably break that down even further and go to ocean view uh, ocean front units as well as opposed to the kind of city view or side view. Uh, they oh, do that's usually. exactly yeah. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 Of course. All right. So I think that was my last question, and we'll move on to the next episode. So, guys, if you are ready to buy with us at the short term shop in Bradley or one of our other agents in Myrtle Beach, you can email us at agents at the short term shop.com and we will get you hooked up. You can also join our Facebook group. Same title as my book right behind me called Short Term Rental Long Term Wealth. Stacy, if they want to enlist your potentially enlist your property management services, how do they do that? Where do they find yeah. you? Yeah. Best place to find us is either on our website at Cozy Getaways, and that's K-O-Z-Y getaways.com. Or you can also check out our portfolio at stayinmyrtlebeach.com. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll catch you on the next episode.